Amen. I wonder if you remember this guy. Some of you will. Well done. Some of you will. Some of you, uh, of course, were not born um, in... Uh, uh, well, um, it's true, isn't it? Here's Terry Waite. That's a, a moment when Terry Waite... Uh, flew back into England. Terry Waite was an envoy for the Church of England. He travelled to Lebanon to try and secure the release of four hostages, including the journalist John McCarthy. He was quite a famous journalist. And he was himself kidnapped, Terry Waite was, and held captive from 1987 to 1991. He was finally released on 18th of November, 1991. As Terry Waite emerged from the plane, he shouted these words, I don't know how I survived captivity, but I did. Romans 8, Peter said that that, uh, sorry, Pete, not Peter or Paul or whoever we're going to look at in the Bible, it's going to be Paul in Romans 8, but this Pete... Uh, says that Romans 8 is the outstanding chapter uh, in God's word for him. Why would he say that? Why is it so significant for Peter? And I dare say so many of you as well. Romans chapter 8 is key. It's crucial. It might have been crucial to your coming to accept the Lord Jesus as Saviour and Lord. Well, do you remember in 8 verse 1? Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is no longer mine. I don't have to feel it. And I certainly do not experience it. If condemnation is the punishment for guilt, I no longer have to face that whilst I should. I no longer have to face that because the Lord Jesus, we saw in verses 3 and 4, took it and how why why do I experience this because it's the work of the spirit chapter 8 verse 2 because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death this we said is the significant work of the spirit it's like a law it's like gravity dropping if I uh, drop my flip-flop which I might or it might not drop do you think do you think it will drop You're all pretty certain. That, says Paul, is like the law of the Spirit. It's what he does. Certainty that he brings life. This is the Spirit's work. It's like the law of gravity. Remember the Spirit's work is one of liberation. See what the Spirit does. The Spirit frees. We pictured, you remember last week, if you were here, if you uh, weren't, then there's no chance of... um, following or, or of, uh, of hearing it online, as I said. Uh, but we picture the dungeon. We picture the chains. We picture the prisoner chained to the wall. We pictured uh, that the, the prison walls dark and soul-destroying, helpless and hopeless, like Terry Waite in captivity, in solitary 
confinement. Terry Waite said, I don't know how I survived captivity, but I did. Here's what the Christian says. I don't know why he rescued me in my captivity, but he did. Remember we looked at Charles Wesley here. My eye diffused a quickening ray. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That is the work that Paul is describing here of the Spirit in verses 1 to 4. Now, Paul goes on. And he builds up the picture of the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. As opposed to the life in the past. Or as a life that does not have the Spirit of Christ within them. That's what Paul's objective is in these next few verses. The work of the Spirit in the heart, the life of the believer. So let's go for point one. The Spirit changes the believer's desires, verses 5 to 8. Look at verse 5 with me again. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires... But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We know that word flesh means sin. It's a state of the heart. It's not just the the small sins of of taking sweets when we shouldn't. Uh, Flesh there is sin, a state, a state of my heart. Uh, This is who I was uh, before Christ. And look at the word minds here. Do you see that? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. This word minds, it's like the control centre of the body. Paul doesn't mean intellectual acumen. it's, It's not about my brain, this word mind. If you have your mind set on something, it's with great intent that you pursue it and we probably use the word mind and heart interchangeably in this context if your heart is set on a new car behavior follows you'll be scanning auto trader do people do that still i did yeah when i needed a new car if people's heart if your heart is set on a new job you'll be making sure that your linkedin profile is up to date uh, you'll be looking in the right forums you'll be speaking to the right people that's what you'll do if your heart is set if your mind is set uh, on a new job i could go on if your heart is set on a holiday in the sun you'll start looking at the internet for some cheap deals Maybe pick up a brochure from the travel agents. Anyone do that still? No, okay, Mike, no. You get the point. When your heart and mind is set on something, your behaviour follows. You will do it. Back to verse 5. So those who live according to the flesh, the sinful state, have their minds, minds, hearts, set on what the flesh desires. Paul is saying, do you remember? Remember when you did not believe? Or for those who don't believe, maybe that's you listening. Welcome. You're always welcome at town church. And keep coming. Keep grappling with God's word. But this could be describing you. Paul could be describing you. When you did not believe, or or now that you don't believe, look what's happening. You used to, or you live according to... The flesh, you live according to your sinful state, 
Because your, your heart is set as a sinner. That's the state of your heart. And therefore behaviour flows out of it. But Paul says those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Minds, hearts. Those in the Spirit, those who trust the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of sin, those who no longer face condemnation, their desires have been changed, says Paul. Hearts are now set to please God, to live for him. In my preparation uh, for today, I was listening to a few sermons and there was one brilliantly helpful illustration from a guy called Mike Kane, uh, which unashamedly I've stolen and so I just want to help you uh, to, uh, to understand what's going on. Simple two hula hoops. Let's go for the red one as the sinful state. That's life in the flesh. And let's go for the green one as uh, now the spirit's work, uh, life uh, in Christ. Uh, And you see what is happening. You see what's going on. There's one state and there's the other state. Look in verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So the flesh brings about death. Life in the spirit brings about life and peace. The flesh is hostile to God, doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it. It just can't. The flesh cannot please God, Paul is saying. Can't it? Can those who live in the flesh, those who have a sinful state, can they not please God at all? Can no one who's a Christian please God? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Paul is suggesting, no, they can't. What do you make of that? I've got some good friends who don't trust in Jesus, who are not found in the Spirit. Paul says if they're not found in the Spirit, if the Spirit hasn't done their work in their hearts, his work in their hearts, then they're found here. And I struggle with this and have done. How can this be? Do you know what? My friends are pretty good guys. I know they're kind, generous, very generous. I know they do good things. I know they do good things with their money. I know they do anything for their mates. What is Paul saying? Well, Paul is saying something like this. Not everyone is as bad as they could be. Right? You don't go into Tesco's and, and get confronted by a, a horde of axe wielding zombie like human beings ready to destroy everyone and everything. My friends are not as bad as they could be. So, what's happening? Is there good within them? The Bible addresses this and, and, and calls it common good. The common grace of God, preventing them, stopping them from being as bad as they could be. 
from carrying out the worst of crimes. And we would say good people, up to a point. Up to a point when the heart that says no when independence is on the line. You say that I'm dependent on God? No, no. I'm my own boss. The life I live, just I can do what I want. You're saying that I I need rescue from... No, 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 not, not me. So it's good up to a point until... They have to submit to another way that does not make them the centre of the universe. That point is different for everyone. Could be a career, could be things just haven't worked out the way that they would want to in life. And therefore to trust God is, is certainly not what they want to do. It could be around their sexuality. It could be a lot of things that stop them from saying, I need God. I need rescue. And this passage, it it begs that we ask the question of ourselves. What about you? Have you seen your desires change? Now that you're in Christ, now that you're living a life in the Spirit, stop and think for a moment. Where have your desires changed? Where is your desire to please God? Where is that evident in your life? I have to look back over the last six months since the turn of the year. Where would you pinpoint areas of change? Where your desires, you've been provoked. You think, no, no, no longer for me and self, but to please God. Perhaps a change of ambition. Perhaps a change for self-centred approval, perhaps a change in your thinking of, of gains for money or use of money. What if your desires changed? And I know as soon as I ask that question, um, if you're anything like me, you'll be thinking, oh, oh heck, I don't know where they have. In fact, I don't know some places of life if they have. Because do you know what, as we read through Romans 8, uh, yes, I, I do trust in the Lord Jesus. But very often, when I'm living in the Spirit, um, very often, I come back over into a life lived in the flesh. Very often, my desires of thing, the things that I, I, I used to crave, or I, I used to go after, or I used to think that's how I wanted people to respond to me, or Or to acknowledge me. What do we do with that? How do we look at it? So stark isn't it the words that Paul uses. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh. They cannot please God. Well, is it something like this? And I think the Bible, without being explicit in this passage, I just think it's helpful uh, to work out and to address. Because remember, right at the beginning of chapter 8, Paul is using these words for utter assurance for the Christian. This isn't to try and catch you out. This isn't to to kind of throw the cat amongst the pigeons and and ask you to, to stop and go, are you really saved? 
because of your behaviour sometimes. No, Paul's not trying to do that. But it's worth working through. So I think this might help. Here I am in Christ. This is life in the Spirit. My desires have been changed to follow him. I want to please him. I do. I do want to. But do you know what happens? I often wander over into here. Could be anything in life. Things that I used to do or, or things that perhaps have caught my attention now. And I crave them. I crave them for myself. What happens? Can I make it with my own strength back over here? What goes on? Of course, if I'm not a Christian and I don't have the spirit within me, I'm in here. And like I kind of could do good things, no, no, I'm always rooted in here. What's going on? Well, I think it's good to picture a bungee rope. Oh, you know one of those things that, uh, well, Kerry loves them, being an engineer. You know, it's like a little bungee rope, not like a bungee jump rope, but like a, a little one, that often like bright colours, red or green, with a hook on the end. You know, what are they called? They are called bungee cords. Thank you, bungee cords. Thanks, Dave. And another engineer, love that. Um, okay, so here's what's going on. So when I, and we do, and I will do, I'll do it tonight, I'll do it tomorrow, when I stray back into life in the flesh, look what happens. My stake... The stake, which is Christ, has been drilled into the hole, and, my, and, it, and I'm on a bungee. So I stray, but I can't help but come back, because he's got me. My desires have been changed. I'm his. There's utter assurance in that. And it's like when I see my mates do some kind of good, it's like the bungee, the stake has been rammed in the ground, and they've got a spirit of flesh. And so it's always going to pull them back in. Always. I think it's a good telling factor to know how I am in Christ. Where is the Spirit's work within me? Because sometimes I don't see it. Sometimes I don't feel it or experience it. How can I tell if I am in Christ? And remember this passage is all about assurance. Yeah, I was listening to a sermon and I thought really helpful, really helpful. If you could come up to this lectern and press a button on the top. And that button meant that you would never sin again. Would you come and press it? I'm pretty certain that, that I think you'd, you'd run over each other in the chairs to come and press that button because you're living in the spirit and I'm pretty certain that my mates who are here that do good would not want to come and press the button because the life they live is still too good for them it's too attractive there's no need to come and press the button see I think what the spirit does for us he raises our affections for God that we would please him. And as he raises our affections for God that we would please him, we hate sin more and more and more. Oh, we still do it. And we will this side of heaven. Oh, we looked at that in chapter 7, didn't we? We'll still do it. But 
My affections have been raised. I want to please God. My stake has been drilled in the ground of life in the spirit. And therefore I'm on a bungee. He'll always pull me back. Because I am his. See the spirit's work. In these few verses 5 to 8. Changes the believer's desires. Okay let's move to verse 9. The spirit unites us. To Christ and God. I wonder what you thought as you uh, heard Mike read these words. Let me read them again. Remember Paul's just driving in the work of the spirit in the heart of the believer. You however, sorry, you however are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Can I confirm, says Paul, you no longer live in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. Here's the assurance. Look, you do if you trust in him. And as I read this verse and focus your attention uh, on these verses again, what a crazy God we trust in from this verse. Isn't it a crazy God that we trust in? How do you explain the Trinity, which is apparent within verse 9, from this verse? How do you do it? There's the spirit, but we're told that it's the spirit of God that lives in you. And then at the end, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Look how Paul interchanges the spirit and God the Father and and Christ, Jesus, the Son. How do we explain the Trinity? Well, simply, if you can simply explain it. The Father sends the Son as the substitutionary sacrifice. The Son gives us righteousness and takes our punishment for sin. And the Spirit brings new life, liberates and empowers to help us savour Jesus and glorify the Father. And the Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So what is the role of the Spirit within the believer? What is it? Maybe this is a good, helpful picture of the Spirit's work. Here's the role of the Spirit. And he would be the spotlight. What did he spotlight? If you've gone to any, um, any big match, MK Dons, Johnny, thinking of you, uh, over there, a big night match, and uh, I can imagine you going to the match and, and yeah, getting all excited for it, buying a hot dog, and settling yourself down, ready for the big game. Now, Johnny would be a fool if, with his hot dog, he started staring at the spotlights. A few minutes in, the game's been playing, but he's not watching the game, he's staring at the spotlights still. The lights have really caught his attention, and he's just staring at the spotlights. You know what the Spirit wants us to do? The Spirit wants to illuminate Christ and his work. The Spirit wants to illuminate the Father and his love. The Spirit wants to keep saying, look, this is my role, this is my work, that the the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified and God the Father would be glorified. It's not a lesser role, it's his role within the Trinity. And he wants to keep pointing us to the work of the Father through Christ. That's a crazy thought that the Spirit unites us to Christ.
Christ and God. It's him and his work that does that. That's what he does. And he illuminates, he shows. He's the one that enables me to glorify God through Christ. The Spirit does that. It's his work. And so, finally we come on to uh, these verses uh, 10 and 11. The Spirit of power will bring life everlasting. This is what the Spirit does, says Paul. But if Christ is in you, the Spirit of Christ, then even through your bo- though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's the Spirit of God, is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. I just don't think I understand the kind of power that God is able to wield within me. Look, physical death is coming, I know. Physical death, the consequences of sin, that will, it's been dealt with on Christ, but it's still a consequence of sin. We, We will die physically. But look what the spirit that gives life, look at what he will do. He gives life because of the righteousness of Christ. He gives me life now, but he'll raise me with Christ in the final day. Do you know the, the same spirit that raised Christ to life, Paul is saying. That spirit, the resurrected spirit. That spirit is at work in you and I. It's that spirit that has given me new life. It is that spirit that liberates. It's that spirit now that lives within me. It is that spirit that continues to raise my affections and desires to God. It is that spirit that unites me to God and Christ. It is that spirit who in verse 11 will raise me to life on that final day. To be with Christ. It is that same power that raised Jesus that lives in me. And that lives in you. It's that power that slowly, surely, gradually will just keep a, 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 tighter, a tighter grip on the bungee. That will s- keep slowing me down from wanting to wander over into the state of sinful flesh. It is that spirit with all the power that raised Christ that will bring me to life. Again, it is that spirit. Oh, how I need, I need to appreciate the work of the spirit, his his continuing work within my life and the future work that he will do to raise me home. How I need to dwell on the truths of Romans 8 verses 5 to 11 to grasp it again. To grasp it afresh. To go into this week with all its highs and lows and ups and downs. And tough, difficult conversations. Wherever you might be. Whatever you've got to do. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Is the same power that the Spirit now gives you. In your life. To fight sin. And to rescue you fully. From death. 
to bring you back to him. That is an incredible God. An incredible God. And that's why we now will sing of the hope that we have. Of the Christ that we have. Because what the Spirit wants me to do is help me see Christ. This song is all about the Spirit's work in helping me see Christ who brings me to God. It's all about the Spirit, the work of the Spirit in the heart of the believer. So uh, why don't we stand, if we're able, and sing with hearts that are full of thankfulness, hearts that are, are bent towards letting the Spirit's power have its way in our hearts this week with that utter hope that death has been beaten, that I will be resurrected with Christ on that final day. Let's sing, All I Have is Christ. Mm-hmm.